All right, so friends, this morning I'd like to um, invite you to spend some time in looking at a, a passage in Scripture with me today. It's found in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke is about three quarters of the way through the Bible. You'll notice there's a Bible on the pew rack in front of you if you didn't bring one with you. As a matter of fact, if you don't own a Bible, take that one home, all right? I know we're going to try and get our guests, if you'll invite our guests to a room to, where we're going to say we've got another gift for you, fair enough, but if you don't own a Bible, take that one home. Seriously, we'd be honored if you'd have that. We're going to look at the Gospel of Luke. There are four biographies of Jesus in the Bible. One of them is called Luke. Uh, Theologians call it a gospel. And you can see the page numbers on the screen behind me, depending which Bible you pulled out of the pew rack. As you're looking for that, uh, this story that we're going to read is a story about a guy coming home and experiencing some really cool things. And I've been thinking about this uh, message for a number of weeks. And I was reminded of a time when I came home and it wasn't a cool event. I was, I, was in, I was in the fourth grade. Many of you may know I was born and raised in Australia. I could talk Australian for you all morning if you like and put on Australian accent so you can hear what I talk like when I was a little boy. But probably it'd be better if I just talk American, right? <laughs> so anyhow, I, I, I grew up in Australia and we immigrated from Australia to North America when I was 11, uh, just immediately after I turned 11. In the fourth grade or in Australia, fourth class, I would, typical of what would happen most days going to school, we lived in a little town, that's the house I lived in. That was on Harvey Street, I'd walk down the end of Harvey Street and there'd be a gathering of young men down there, all little boys, some of my cousins and all sorts of stuff. We'd walk up Edward Street and then up the main street, about a mile and a half, two miles to school. Little town, we did it every day. And uh, then we'd come home, split, go out separate ways at the bottom of Harvey Street again. I'd walk up to the house in Australia. At that point, you weren't even, the houses didn't have numbers, they were, they were names. And you can see the name on there. That's Glenn Osmond is where, what is the name of the house. And so uh, that's how the address was given. And so I walked in the house expecting my mother to be there, 10 years old, no one there. As a matter of fact, this is the first time this had ever happened. Not, not only was she not there, neither was anything else. They had moved out while I was gone. <laughs> True story. I still shake about it to this day. Seriously, they had moved out. They'd, they hadn't told me. They'd sent me off to school and I was naive and thinking it was going to be a normal day. Came home and they had left the house. True story. What had happened was we were in the process of looking to immigrate to this side of the Pacific Ocean. And they'd had, mom and dad had had the house up for sale. After I left for school, a couple came in. They said, we want to buy your house with one caveat. We want to buy it today and you have to be out by tonight. They did it. They just didn't tell me. <laughs> you would have thought they would have come to school and told me and picked me up. No, in the meanwhile, they were at the bank doing the closing papers. Can you imagine doing all that in one day? I came in. I remember opening the door to my bedroom. There's no bed in there. Where am I going to sleep? Where, where's my family? I have a younger brother and a younger sister. I went into the living room. There was a cardboard box about this tall that had something in it. I don't remember. Still open. And, and a red sofa sitting up against the wall. And I remember sitting on the red sofa for about... It seemed like I was waiting until Jesus came back. It wasn't quite that long. <laughs> But it was probably about 20 minutes sitting there with my legs swinging back and forth. Where's mommy? Where's daddy? Ten years old. You can imagine. Well, they've taken them longer than they'd expected. So they finally showed up and explained to me what happened. That, and thus began the adventure for our family to move from Australia to here. That's what I looked like at that point. I just got to make one comment about, man, was I rocking the skinny jeans or what? <laughs> 
That was the last day I was stylish, but man, I was stylish that day. That's my little brother, Michael. And, uh, <laughs> and that's where we began our adventure. Uh, the next slide you're going to see is a, is a photo of our family on the day we actually left Australia. We got on a ship and came across the Pacific Ocean. And fair enough, all that happened, and I get it. But I'm telling you, the first day, that first day of that adventure, the first day of that journey was a day that I wouldn't want to repeat, and I would never wish it on any 10-year-old, really. And I, it's okay, I get it now, but I would like to say that I would have a better going-home experience. You know, we have these stories of when we want to go home for Christmas, we want to go home for Thanksgiving. We have college students who pine to go home and see family and friends and all that sort of stuff. And so the story we're going to look at today... Is a story of a young man who leaves home and then pines to come back. It's a very, very familiar passage of scripture, commonly known as the prodigal son. Would you read it with me, please? Um, beginning in verse 11 of Luke chapter 15. Jesus is speaking. It's a parable. There was a man who had two sons, he said. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, I, I, throughout our, our time this morning, briefly, I want to just kind of show you, if you will, a timeline, a story timeline of this young man's life. And it's got an arc. Instead of it going like this, it's really an arc that goes like that. Uh, he starts off pretty high, if you think of it, about it this way, in a, in a fairly privileged setting. I mean, the story as Jesus portrays it is that the family has some resources. They've got servants, they've got fields, and somehow there's enough money in the family that they can divide everything and say, here's your share of the estate, and you can have it, and yet the family can still carry on living, and it's not a problem. So it's a family with some means and some resources, and got two brothers, and this guy's identity is as a brother. He really was unaware of all that he had and all the good things that were around him because he kept looking, okay, I want to go somewhere else. Basically, the grass is not only greener on the other side of the fence, as we would say, but the grass is greener in another country. And so he went from being a, a brother to being a traveler. He wanted to explore, have a sense of wandering and exploring and discovering, which is really quite quite common, it's real, if you will, since the beginning of human history. Men and women have had this sense of, man, I want to go look and see what else there is out there. And it's, it's deep within the human psyche. It's really what caused the U.S. to be formed as the U.S., right? People from Europe came here and said, what's out there? 
And as they arrived on the East Coast, they pushed westward saying, what's over there? That particularly happened during the 1800s. Have you heard the saying, go west, young man? Have you ever heard that saying before? It's kind of an iconic statement from that period of time. Here's the background to that. There was a fellow by the name of Horace Greeley. Greeley was a newspaper editor in the Boston area, very, very well known, one of the leading abolitionists coming into the Civil War. But prior to all of that, uh, becoming the focal point of his life, he really was interested in what, what he could do to promote the development of the Western territories. In 1833, he met a young guy by the name of Josiah Grinnell. Josiah was a young Congregationalist pastor who wanted a bigger life. And Greeley says to Josiah, hey, if you want a bigger life, if you want a bigger adventure, if you want to take in more opportunity, then go west, young man, he said. Go west and grow up with the country. What's fascinating in that, though, is their understanding of the west. Horace Greeley says, hey, if you want to go west, there's this there's a place a long, long far away. It's, it's really kind of wild out there, but there's all kinds of agricultural possibilities, and the land is as flat as a tabletop. You should, if you really want to experience life and all there is to offer, go west all the way to Illinois. And he showed up here. That sense of greater adventure, that sense of... Um, who we are and wanting to take it all in is common among us all, isn't it? Unfortunately for the young man in, G in Jesus' story, though, there was, there was the go west feeling, but it went from there to badly. He became a party animal. He sowed, we'd say he sowed his wild oats. So we get what it means when a 10-year-old comes to us and says, hey, hey, Dad, can I, um, can I go spend the night at Jack's house? And we see that little bit of traveler in that kid. Or our 14-year-old granddaughter says to her mother, hey, 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 mom, when we go on vacation this summer, can we go to the ocean? I've never seen the ocean. I want to see the ocean. We get an 18-year-old who says, I don't want to live at home anymore. I want to go to college. There's that sense of adventure, that sense of, well, it's in the American psyche. It's why Americans said, we want to be the first ones to put a human footprint on the moon. In the midst of all of that, though, there's a lesson here about this wild party animal that this guy became. Jesus said he squandered all his wealth on wild living. Now, I don't know what wild living was 2,000 years ago. Probably not much different than today. When you think about it, pretty well the same thing. And this guy makes some, some bad choices and it's going to be all fun. It was fun until he ran out of money. And he went from being a party animal then, so we've got a downward trend now to where he actually becomes a pig slopper. He's taking care of pigs. Did you catch that in the story? We don't catch the depth of what Jesus is saying there because it doesn't ring, ring with us. But I want you to think about this, what Jesus is saying there. Jesus is a Jewish man speaking to a Jewish audience. What's the one thing that Jews cannot touch? Swine, right? Pigs. I mean, when you talk about kosher food, it's all based on the fact that there's been no contamination, no touch whatsoever with anything related to pigs. And Jesus is really pointing out the depth of this young man's life by saying, they got it. They're listening. They understand how offensive it is that he's touching these pigs. And he's so bad off that he actually wants to eat 
what the pigs are eating, but they won't let him do that. And so we read that he came to his senses. He, I guess he, he looked around and says, this is crazy. This is not the way I want to do life. I've dug myself into a hole so deep I'd like to get out of it. I can't do that. Um, I should go home. But dad will never accept me like I was. I, I mean, I can't get back to here where I started. Down here, maybe I could get back to being a servant. Maybe he'll just let me be a servant. And so he says, life as a servant would surely be better. But his dad had a different idea. Look at me again. Verse 21, the son said to the father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Son, come on home. Take a seat. Let's put a new coat on you. Sit at the table, son. We want, we want, somebody get a pair of shoes for him. And let's, let's, let's have a party. Let's have a party. Oh, and by the way, let's put a ring on his finger so that everybody knows that he belongs to us. It's a great story of coming home. It's a great story of redemption. And some of you are asking, well, why are you telling us that story today, Pastor. Why, why the focus in the life of First Christian Church this weekend to be very intentional in inviting guests? Well, simply put, folks, wherever you are in your journey with God, we're interested to see if we could help you. That we could help you maybe do more than just be a traveler in terms of spirituality, but that you could find what it means to go home, to come home. We're inviting you to come home. We want you to, if you will, consider a discovery process that might include you coming to the end where they put a, where God figuratively puts a, finger, a ring on your finger and you go, I'm coming home. See, many of us in this room would say that we follow Christ. And as such, you could put the nomenclature on me, if you will. He's a Christian. I'm proud to wear that. I, I know that sometimes I don't always measure up to that, but that's what I call myself. I call myself a Christian. And if I'm someone who says that I follow Christ, that I care about the things that God cares about, then I've got to listen to what God says. Because we can't say that we care about God and not care about what God cares about. And God cares about people. God cares about me. And God cares about you. And this story here of the prodigal son, is all about me and it's all about you. It's about us coming home. It's about, if you will, us coming to our senses, if you will, and saying, okay, it's, this trajectory is not what I really had in mind. I mean, I was hoping life was going to be like this, and in some ways life is like that, but when I think about it spiritually, I'm on the downhill trend, and I don't want to stay, I want to, don't want to keep going there. Because it's stressful there. Don't you think this guy feeding the pigs, hungry, starving, and he says, I'm starving to death. Do you think that was a little stressful? I reckon it was. All of us at various points experienced that stress. Uh, psychologists have looked at the ways in which stress impacts our lives, and they have actually put a scale together of different events that would say, if this event occurs, then on a scale of 1 to 100, this is how stressful it is. For example, if your spouse was to pass away or your child was to die, 
on a scale of 1 to 100, that's about the most stressful one event. Now, you can have other events that take you past 100. For example, if you were to get divorced, that's a very stressful event. That's a 73 on this scale of 1 to 100. But if you get divorced and lose a child at about the same time, then you're at 173. Does that make sense? You're over the top at that point. If you signed a mortgage this week for more than a quarter million dollars, that's probably pretty stressful, isn't it? Probably. When, you, when your kids leave home, if you have children, and they are going off to college, and you wonder, how are they going to do? Are they going to be studying? Or are they going to be party animals? That's at about... Next slide, guys. What is that? When a child leaves home, it's at 29. Apparently, if you have a traffic ticket, it's at 11. That's pretty stressful. I know. I know that Missouri State Police officer I met in Missouri a few weeks ago was a very nice fellow. <laughs> but it was a stressful meeting, I will tell you that. Pig slopping is not on that scale. I don't see it there. But I don't necessarily see um, all your life stories up there either. But I would suggest that if there's a point of stress in your life, is there any possibility that God could be in the middle of all that? Not maybe causing it, but saying, hey, I'd like to talk to you about this. I'd like to have a conversation about this. I'd invite you to journey with us, the people of First Christian Church, as we discover God's best plans for our own lives, for the individuals within our church, and for our community. Now, I, I, need, to, I need to warn you, coming home to a church like us, doesn't mean you come home to a perfect church. We are not the perfect church. As a matter of fact, if you're a perfect person, this isn't the place for you. Okay? I'll just say it straight up. Because we're striving to be better than who we are. And we certainly understand that we are trying to move from institutional to authentic. And from religious to relational. But I've been in this business, if you will, in ministry for more than 35 years. And I'm quite aware of this that after 35 years, there are plenty of reasons that I could give you why you should bail on the church at all. Plenty of reasons. Because the church is a messy place. You know why? You're dealing with folk. And you're dealing with people like me who um, are sinners. And people who know, need to know what it means to come home. So there are a number of ways you could kind of think about this. As Pastor Brian mentioned, maybe in your, in your um, program today, you got this. Why don't you come back and be with us next week? As a matter of fact, I'm inviting you again to be our guest again next week. Because our congregation is 180 years old. And for the last 18 months, the leadership teams of the church have been working on stuff for where we're going to be in the years ahead. And I'm bringing all of that to you, all of you, next weekend. It's a 10-year plan or so. And uh, it's probably the biggest initiative it's not probably, it is the biggest initiative our congregation has ever attempted. And I want to invite you to be with us. Look on the backside, worship times next week are back to what we call normal. If anything's normal around here, one of our core values is that we embrace change. Seriously, we have four core values. One of them is we embrace change. So next week we're changing back to what's normal. <laughs> it's crazy, crazy, okay? But I, seriously, I want you to be back here next week because 
what we feel God's called us to do in this community is going to blow your mind. It's going to scare the living daylights out of you. I'm scared, but it's kind of exciting at the same time. As Brian mentioned also, I've stepped into a sales mode for just a moment. Can you tell? <laughs> I was with that policeman. And just as he's about to issue me a ticket, this, I won't get there. Rain came out of the heaven. I hadn't done anything wrong. And I realized that. And they never did give me a ticket. And the rain came out of heaven, and I'm thinking, God, thank you for this rain. Because suddenly says, you can have your... And I realized I'm in sales and God's in management, but there you go. So <laughs> I couldn't have arranged for anything better. The, the point being, I, I want you to come maybe on Wednesday night and check out some of the classes. Where it could, Particularly if, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you might check out that very first one, getting started, your next step, step after committing to follow Christ. And maybe even you haven't got to that place where you're committed to follow Christ. You'd like to explore it. We'd, we'd like, like to have a chat with you about that next Wednesday. Or for, for those who are guests, like I said, we have a gift for you today. It's a, it's a way to get some refreshments and some chatting time over in the cafe. To get that, you've got to go to that room over there, okay? There's a, there, there are signs in the lobby that'll point you the way, footprints on the, on the carpet. It is literally on the other side of this wall. And we'd be glad to have you come in and sit down with somebody if you want to sit down or stand, whatever the case, and just, we want to get to know you a little bit. That's it straight up. We believe that God's called this congregation to reach into the lives of people. Maybe you're one of them. Because I want you to be able to say, I can go to that church, or at least think about it, and have a different experience than what Wayne had on that day in fourth grade when he came home and the house was empty. Uh, that, that empty house that day started a journey for us as a family, for me and my family, that really took about five years to be made complete. We left within a few months and came to this side of the pond called the Pacific, and um, we ended up, first of all, in Vancouver, British Columbia. And from the time I was, um, I actually turned 11 just before we left. Between then and when I was in the 10th grade, I was in six different schools. Just the family moving, trying to figure out how life was going to be. And I, I don't have any bitterness toward my family in that regard. I get how that all came about. But I must tell you, that's a really rough time to be going from one school to another every few months. Felt really quite alone and quite, um, in many ways, the house back in Katoomba with the red sofa, me being in the house by myself. It was kind of how I lived for the next few years. Tenth grade, we arrived in a new, new, new house. Mom and dad had made their way, if you will, up the chain, and they'd, they built a house, brand new house. We moved in. And I remember going to school the very first day of that school year, 10th grade, not knowing how it was going to work out. And um, the system there was that you didn't have to eat in the cafeteria. If you brought a brown bag, you could eat wherever you wanted. So I didn't want to go to the cafeteria. I was, man, I want, how's this going to go? You can sense the puberty and adolescence and all that stuff in different schools. It was really weird. Um, and I was walking down the hallway carrying my little brown sack lunch I poked my head in a doorway of a classroom there were four kids sitting in that classroom um, one of them was a guy by the name of Bill Clark he was actually sitting up in the windowsill of the classroom eating a sandwich out of his brown sack and he saw me poke my head in the door and uh he jumped up out of the windowsill, came bounding across the room. This is a 15-year-old kid. Think about what courage it took for a 15-year-old to do this. And he came racing across the room, and he stuck out his hand, and he said, Hey, you're new here. 
Hello, come on in and tell us your story. Those four people, Bill, Brian, Debbie, and Sherry, had me sit down, and suddenly I was home. We did life together for a lot of years thereafter. We even went to college together. That photo you see is us about four or five years ago when a friend of ours had died, and we all went back together for the funeral. And I'll tell you this, I'd go anywhere in the world for those people. You know why? Because they invited me home. That's the sentiment in my heart of what I want you to hear today. We want you to come in. We want you to step in, step closer. You may be like this young kid in the, in the story that Jesus gave or some version thereof, some traveler of some sort. And your life trajectory may be going the wrong direction. Or maybe it's going the right direction, but you'd like a better sense of home. Take a look at us. Take a look at the values that Jesus Christ spoke of and what it might mean to follow him. And we'll strive to do this. We'll strive not to leave you in a room with a half-empty cardboard box and you sitting on a red sofa all by yourself swinging your legs, okay? Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for my friends in this room. Uh, men and women and young people, Lord, who are, all of us, Lord, are trying, we're trying to do life. And there are really great days in that at times, and there are really difficult days in that. And fair enough. And I don't know where everybody is on that stress scale, God. Maybe some people, are, this is the sweetest moment of their lives. Fair enough. But God, I pray that you would enable all of us, regardless of our life circumstances, I pray, Lord, that we would experience you through the work of Jesus Christ. Give us courage, God, to be kind of like the, the, the kid in the story and come to our senses and say, I'm going to go home. We don't really, some of us, Lord, don't know what that means fully and we have got to figure it out yet. But we would like to say that we're willing to, we'd like to know what it means for you to put a ring on our finger and for us to be identified by you. Help us to walk, walk that out and figure it out, Lord, as you enable us. We pray that, Lord, from the depths of our souls, not even knowing all the ways in which it may impact our lives. And for now, it's an earnest prayer on our parts. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.